turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. Several years ago, um, my kids, one in particular, wanted to get a hamster, okay? And I was, I was more into like having an electronic pet, not a hamster, but you know how it is. You got to feel like, okay, I got kids, I'm going to probably have to have pets. And so we got one of these hamsters, and I tell you what, this, this hamster had a really predictable life, okay? I'm not sure why they're such a popular pet, because they sleep all day, okay? They're nocturnal. And then when everybody else is trying to sleep, well, that's when the hamster, like, came to life. And it spent its whole life trying to eat its way out of the plastic little cage thing we got for it. And then if that wasn't working, it just got on the exercise wheel and, and just going like a thousand miles a minute, you know, just like, and just like going forever and ever. We had to put it so we couldn't hear it so we could try to get some sleep, right? And, you know, it was just like running endlessly, just going like crazy. And, you know, I, I, really, I really missed that hamster. Uh, we ended up giving it to a family who was moving to another state, okay? Our, I remember I personally don't always make these trips, but I went and said goodbye to them, and I think they know that they got it. They had all their boxes. They're just kind of, there you are, your little parting kiss there. I think they wanted it. I don't even know what happened to the hamster. I can't even remember the name of the hamster, actually. I just remember his life, and I was like, what a terrible life, just running like crazy at all the time. You know, some of our lives might actually be like that. We are just running ragged. We're running like crazy. And it could be a kind of a pretty apt description for a lot of people because busyness is kind of like an American value. I mean, people almost expect us to be busy, to be overworked. And we kind of wear being overworked as like a badge of honor, right? I mean, we're important if we are so busy we can't even think straight, right? And on the flip side of that, you know, we... We're almost embarrassed to say that, well, I'm really not busy right now. I don't have a lot planned. I, it's actually kind of a moderate level week. You're like, well, what's wrong with you? Don't, you? don't you have a real life? Aren't you important? You know, all of this busyness and running around like little hamsters in our cage trying to chew out it can take a toll on you. You know that? Chuck Swindoll is writing about an experience that he had. He's at this pastor's conference. And... One of these pastors just kind of slips out of the crowd, comes up and talks to him, and he actually records this uh, event in his book, Intimacy with the Almighty. He said, this was a cry for one clergyman who whispered to me the following at a meeting with pastors. Nobody around me knows this, but I'm operating on fumes. I'm lonely, hollow, shallow, enslaved to a schedule that never lets up. And Swindoll writes, as I embraced him and affirmed his vulnerability and honesty, he began to weep with deep, heaving sobs. We prayed before he slipped back into the crowd. I wonder how many of us can relate to that. Lonely, hollow, shallow, enslaved to a schedule that just never seems to get up. You know, unless we learn the critical lesson that we're going to find today in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38, that's probably going to be our lives. We're going to be just a little bit better than a hamster. And I wish I could tell you, like, I live a really balanced life and never have any problems in this area. But, I mean, I hear even people laughing. If you know me, you know, like, I'm like super hard charger or work really hard. I wish I could tell you that I I have this down, but you know what? I have a tendency to forget. And I'd imagine if we were just like pretty transparent with each other this morning, there's a lot of us 
that feel empty, shallow, hollow, enslaved with schedule that never lets up. It's like we're running on fumes. You know, Jesus made it real clear. Remember when he said in John 15:5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some things, quite a bit. You can do nothing. And that's what we learn in a very familiar scene, and yet it's, it's oftentimes forgotten when you come to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. It is a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And you know, it's interesting that some of life's greatest lessons actually come and some at the most unexpected times. Look at this in verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he, speaking of Jesus, entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, a certain village, uh, we know this village to be Bethany. Uh, if you know where Jerusalem is, it is two miles to the east. You just kind of cross the Kidron Valley, and there is this Bethany. This is the home of the lady we meet here, Martha, but it's also the home of Mary and a man named Lazarus, who just a couple months from this event that we're going to look at today will literally be raised from the dead, and Jesus will do it. And so Jesus is making his way. He's got his entourage of disciples, the 12 plus Jesus. They're making their way. And notice this woman, Martha, welcomes him into her home. Pretty interesting statement, because if you read the Gospel of Luke, in just a chapter earlier, in chapter 9, verse 58, Jesus himself says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But here is a woman who loves Jesus deeply. Here is a woman who says, I want to open up my home to you. I want you to be welcome. And so she does. She welcomes him into her home. And you see just from her actions, her heart, her words, that she's got a great love for Jesus. And so Jesus apparently accepts the invitation. She welcomes her into her home. And verse 39 Martha has a sister, and she had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. As it would be, Jesus apparently takes a seat, the disciples are all gathered, and Jesus was always teaching, always pointing things out, giving his people perspective on what they had encountered, helping them understand their purpose, giving them peace, understanding that he was preparing them for a great work. Jesus was always developing his disciples. He was investing. He was telling them about life, about relationship with God, about dealing with sin, about the troubles of this world, the need for rest. And Martha, of course, has made the big invitation. When she sees all these hungry disciples, Jesus, thinking about her own brother Lazarus, it's just not a problem. We're going to host about 15 people here. Not a big deal. I'll get right to work. You might have asked her, do you have any food? Don't know about that, but I've already invited Jesus over. We'll get it figured out, right? And so she goes to work. But did you notice in verse 39 that there was her sister Mary? And she's seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. Now, Judaism did not forbid a woman to learn from a rabbi. But if you come from a Jewish background... You're like, what? You're shocked. Because this was unheard of. If you were a woman, you did not ever sit at the feet of a rabbi. That's just, what, breaking all sorts of protocol. What's going on here? 
And so you've got Mary, and she's seated at the feet of Jesus, and she's taking in every bit of what he has to say. It's as if what Jesus has to say is meeting her deepest needs and answering difficult questions that she has. Her heart is literally being renewed. She's being transformed because she's soaking it all in. She recognizes that listening to the spoken words of Jesus is even more important than serving him. I wonder if, like Psalm 73, verse 28, actually was going through the mind of Mary as as she's sitting there. Can't you just see them all gathered in this room? Where in Psalm 73 it says, But as for me, the nearness of my God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell of all of his works. And she's just sitting there. And she's taking it all in. You see, Mary was doing what she thought was most important. And so was her sister Martha. Both of them are motivated by love. One sister was learning. And another sister was about to learn the importance of doing so. Well, look at this. We've got the situation set up. Mary's taking it all in. Martha is busy in the kitchen. And look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Martha is, the word distracted, it means literally to be like pulled away, dragged away. And she is like, it implies like she's like in a tumult. You know, she's like running and trying to get everything fixed. And she's got all these preparations, literally her much service. And she is pulled in all sorts of different directions. I mean, she's trying to put together this elaborate meal. I mean, this is Jesus. She believes this is the Messiah. And Jesus is in her house. Can you believe it? She hadn't been planning on it, but lo and behold, here he is. And so she's thinking about this elaborate meal. I mean, we've got to have appetizers, salad, meat, vegetables, relishes, rolls, dessert, and it all has to kind of segue and all kind of come together. You know what I'm talking about? Well, that's what she's thinking. This has got to be the perfect meal. Didn't have a lot of advanced warning that this was going to happen, but she is ready. And her prodigious energy is just going wild. Meanwhile, as Jesus is sitting there, and Mary is sitting at his feet. Like, like Mary might be just a little clueless as the importance of what's going on, or at least this is what Martha thinks. Martha is like a whirlwind of activity, but it's going to quickly escalate into a tornado of trouble. So she's peeling the potatoes. She's fussing with the flowers. She is baking the bread. She is arranging all the silverware. And, and all the while, the more she works, the more just kind of frantic she gets. It's kind of like, I remember one time flying a kite with my kids, and I guess we got a little too close to an electrical wire, and it was pretty windy. And somehow, I don't know how these things happened to me, but the kite got caught up in the electrical wire. And you know what it did? It just starts spinning. It's like, kids, oh, man, this is terrible. You need a better dad. You know, there's the kid's kite. They're crying, and it's just spinning up there in the electrical wire. Well, that's what's happening to Martha. She is literally just spinning out of control. I mean, man, she's getting angry. You know how, you know how it is. When you're really busy and you feel like people are not paying attention and not helping. And so she's probably making some of those sighs and those groaning noises like, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you have probably perfected the art. And, you know, you're clanging the pans. You're trying to get that. You might even say, you know, I'd have got that, but my hands are full. You know, like take a hint, right? And that's what's going on. And then she's clearing her throats. And and Mary's seated at the feet of Jesus. She's taking it all in. And you can imagine that Martha's trying to get Mary's attention. And, and maybe, maybe she thought she'd give her a glance, and she gave the look. You know what that look is? Like, get in here. You know that look? I, okay, I know some of you husbands. I mean, that, 
That just literally brings fear to your very heart. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's called the look. And you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, but what I'm doing now is wrong, right? I, I know I'm well-trained, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Kids, help me out, you know? And she's, and Mary's sitting there. She's just ignoring all that, and Martha's trying to scowl her down. And finally, she comes to a boiling point. She is red-faced and furious, and she comes bolting out of that kitchen. And all of a sudden, the work is stopped. Jesus is no longer talking, and she lets it loose. Look at this. Verse 40. Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She came up to him, comes literally right up to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Whoa. Do you see that? That's a pretty radical change from verse 38. Welcoming Jesus in our home. Please, Jesus, we want you to come to our home. Now she is bolting in. And there's some things I want you to see about this. You know, when we, uh, when we lose sight of first things, we get our priorities out of order, and our heart's not right, there's changes that take place. We really we find a loss of focus. One thing I want to show you here is a loss of focus causes Martha to lose sight of who Jesus is and how much he loves her. She's got the title right, Lord. She recognizes you are the sovereign one of the universe, Master, Lord. But it's her attitude. It's, listen to the words, do you not care? Don't you see how hard I am working? I mean, don't you care that I'm working so hard and I'm working so hard for you? It's really interesting. The disciples in Mark chapter 4, they were in a storm, and they thought they were going to perish. They said the exact same words to Jesus. Don't you care we are about to perish in this storm? Don't you care about us, Jesus? I'll tell you this, that when we lose our focus, when our priorities get a little bit out of step, we function more like a hamster than a human made in the image of God. It causes us to lose sight of just who Jesus is and how much he loves us. Let me tell you something else happens. A loss of focus causes Mary, uh, Martha, to resort to self-pity. Did you see that there in the text? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Eyes off the Savior, totally on self. Don't you care that I've got to do it all alone? And what happens is she just starts resorting to self-pity. Look at me. I'm doing everything, and you don't even care about it. And there's one other thing. A loss of focus causes Martha to become upset with others. She is furious with her sister. You know, I believe that Martha really wanted to honor the Lord. I really wanted to honor Jesus. She wanted it special. She wanted things done well. But what happens is you don't... When you lose your focus, like Martha, you become upset with others. And she becomes harsh and accusing. Her perception of reality actually becomes clouded because she has mixed up priorities. And so in essence, what she says, she comes up, notice, she comes up to Jesus. And she's like, would you tell my sister 
to get in here. Where is your sister? Probably like right on her feet. She may have actually stepped on her to get right in the face of Jesus. And he's basically saying, would you tell my sister to get her sweet self into the kitchen because I'm not talking to her anymore, right? That's what's going on. And look at this. I I tell you what, there's so much we can learn from Jesus. Look how Jesus handles the situation. Verse 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. I mean, can't you see it? He is just taking her out of fifth gear. Martha, let's slow down here. Martha, Martha. You are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You see, you're worried. You're being torn in all these different directions. You are you're just kind of almost baffled by the situation. You're worried and you're bothered and you're irritated. But you see the great tenderness in Jesus' voice and he says, you know, if there's only really one thing that really matters. Do you see that? Verse 42. There's one thing that is necessary. And you know what? Your sister, the one you're really mad at and ticked off at, she actually has got it. Mary has chosen the good part. And it'll not be taken away from her. You see, friends, there's really one thing that is necessary. And that one thing is the good part. The good part that will not be taken away is the presence of God himself. That is the good part of life. And for Mary, she seemed to understand it. And you see, for, for Mary, being with Jesus, she understood was even more important than serving Jesus. You see, we cannot let much activity keep us from what is most important. You see, good people like Martha, you know what happens? They miss the good part. And you know what? We often do with similar results. I know that we can be all down on Martha, like, come on, Martha. But let's let's take it just a few minutes of honest self-reflection. This is most painful for the guy standing up here. You know what? Our loss of focus causes us to lose sight of who Jesus is and how much he loves us. What happens is if you and I just get into work mode and we've got really good motives, we're here to serve Jesus and we're just serving like crazy in a sense, what happens is that we forget, we miss out on who Jesus is and how much he loves us. That's the good part. He wants our hearts resting and rejoicing the fact that he loves us unconditionally. In fact, he actually is seeking to do his work through us, but before we're going, supposed to be doing everything, he really wants us just being with him to enjoy his presence. A loss of focus will also cause us to resort to self-pity. What happens is if we just kind of omit the time of sitting at the feet of Jesus, and we just kind of like, I'm just going to be in the work mode, what happens is we start resorting to self-pity. And we just like, man, doesn't anybody care? If it's got to be done, then I've got to do it. That kind of mentality. You know what I'm talking about? And one other thing that happens is, just like Martha, a loss of focus causes us to become upset with others. And that's what we find with Martha. She becomes harsh and accusing. And in just a pretty quick period of time, a couple verses, we go from welcoming Jesus 
to actually telling Jesus what to do and how he doesn't have it right. That is always dangerous ground when you're addressing God and telling him what to do. But you know what it is. You know how it is. You know, like you've got a, a huge meal, right? Like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Mother's Day, right? Not just to remind you that it's Mother's Day and you might have this huge meal. You've got these people coming over. And you know what happens is you, you, you try to get things going, but oh my goodness, this is far bigger. And then something doesn't go right. The bowl breaks. You are missing a couple key ingredients, you know, like, ah, how do I get myself into these situations, right? And meanwhile, but he's all like sitting and looking at the flowers grow or watching TV or just hanging out and you're doing it all yourself. And what happens is what was supposed to be a special time together as family ends up what? Really tense. You ever had those meals? Like no one's talking because the lady that made this beautiful meal was what? Really mad at all of us. And we don't really want it that way. And what happens is, you see, when we get our priorities out of place. When we, we lose perspective, everything goes wrong and, it, and it, it causes us to become upset with others. You see, we end up looking like a pile of frayed string because what is missing is that we're not being woven together by God and His grace. See, what happens is God restores the souls of His people, but the only way that ever happens, friends, is if you just spend some time in His presence. I, I know a lot of you and how you're wired, you're hard chargers. We've got a lot of very accomplished people in our church. You're busy. You do great things. But let me remind you of the most important thing, and that is the good part. It'll not be taken away from you. You and I, we've got to learn this lesson from Mary. You see, you can have a high view of God. You can have a real high view of the Scriptures. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe it's inerrant, it's inspired, it's infallible. But if, if you don't have a habit of regularly relating to Him, you know what happens is you become shallow inside. Something doesn't go right. you got good theology that isn't uh, developing a rich relationship with Jesus. And that's what we are to learn from this. You see, uh, you know, we've got all these activities and things in front of us. And there, I want you to know that what you do during the week is a major part of your ministry. As a student, your job, whether you're a professor or you're a mechanic or you're running a business, or you're working for someone, that is a major part of your ministry. And then if you've got family responsibilities and, and stuff that you're going on in church, and maybe you're taking some next steps there, and you've got all these responsibilities coming at you and looking at you, and it can almost have a paralyzing effect. I know this from firsthand. You're like, Haha, there is no possible way that one man could possibly do all these things. Something really interesting. I was reading William Henson uh, wrote about like how they train lions. And this, is, this is really interesting. You know, like these lion trainers, they, they have a whip. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. A gun makes even a lot more sense to me to have a gun. You're going to go in with a live lion. But the thing that never makes sense to me is what in the world do you need a chair for? Like you're going to have a stare-down contest with this lion or something like that? And, you bring, and they show up with this chair. But what they do with the chair, really interesting, just like you see in this picture, they turn it so all four legs are facing the king of the beasts. Who could just shred them instantly? And those who train lions say that what happens is 
that when the lion sees the four parts of the stool, the four legs, it actually almost creates like a paralysis. They become docile, weak, tame, disabled, fragmented, because they're trying to focus on all four points, and so they can't, and it all of a sudden it just like makes them calm, docile. It makes them ineffective to what they do best. Friends, that's what happens. If we just stay focused on all the stuff that's coming at us, what happens is we're going to have a similar effect. We're going to end up looking like Martha. The key is that we grow to learn the lesson of Mary. Yeah, you and I are busy. We have a lot of responsibilities. But the good part is the presence of God himself. Serving him is great. But being with him is best. And when devotion comes first, serving will follow. But if devotion, just time with God, isn't coming first, you know, it's going to start showing up in your life just like it did in Martha's. Last week, we are driving down the road in my van, and I love when this happens. You're driving, you think, like, everything is pretty cool. And then the orange engine light. Ha <laughs> ha, Karina, do you know about the light? Yeah, it's been coming on and off a little bit. You've got to be kidding, you know? You've got this road trip in front of us, and there's the engine light. This could mean nothing, like a little sensor, or it could mean like your transmission's going to go out here in about 40 miles and be stranded in the middle of nowhere in Texas. What? You know, the engine light comes on to tell you that something's not right in the engine. What do you do when the engine light comes on? I'd be curious, how many of you just ignore it? Oh, yeah, come on. We got, thank you for being honest. I appreciate it. And your wife really appreciates that, right? Yeah, but many times we know that the engine light came on to tell us that there is something wrong with the engine. You might want to get it checked out. Friends, when you see our, yourself kind of like just starting to wolf down your food, you know, snapping at your spouse, being nearly agitated with the kids, um, just kind of almost out of character. Like, you don't really want to be around people. You really don't even want to be around God, spend time with Him. You're seeing, it's the engine light that's coming on. says, you know what? It's time to look under the hood. It seems as if we're missing the good part. You see, the joy of being in relationship with God is relating and being in relationship with God. It's kind of similar to, like, getting married. You know, you know when you... You got married. You know, before you got married, you, you had this time where you actually, like, get to know each other. And, like, you, you find things that you really like about your future spouse. But I want you to know, men, that she didn't marry you because you were really good at fixing the lawnmower. You know, like, that was just something she was really, just really happy to see that you had those skills. Nor, nor, I want you to know, ladies... He didn't marry you because you were really great at making potato salad, you know? And it was your mother's recipe and everything. And I just have to take a quick time out. With guys, it is complicated because anytime food enters the equation, it, it, we get kind of confused. You, good cook, that's, that's like, that's a really great quality. I think we're, you know, okay. But it's, it's not just that you could fix the lawnmower or you can make a little nice meal or some potato salad. You know why you got married? Because the joy of being in relationship with each other. And sure, it's good to be able to do a lot of things and to serve. And it's extremely important. Don't get me wrong. But, but the most important thing is to relate to God. Martha's not distracted by sin, per se. Actually, she's distracted by her service. So let me just ask you, is there anything that may be keeping you from the good part? 
I find for myself, when I, when I cease to spend time with God, I, I just get kind of dry. I lack peace. It, it's very evident to me, and it probably becomes evident to others. I, I just need Him, like we've got done singing, like every hour, right? That's how we're designed. You know, we're not merely workers to do work. We are actually children, children of the Father, to be loved. And He wants your heart to know that very well. You know, life is short, and it does not automatically arrange itself in right priorities. Did you know that? It just doesn't automatically happen. You've got to make some decisions. You have to make some choices. Now, Jesus is not teaching that it is unimportant to serve. Because you always want to take Scripture in context. What happened right before this scene? If you look up, it is the parable of the Good Samaritan, where there's a lot of work being done. Now, serving is very important. But communion with God is the most important. It is the good part. You see, what happens is when devotion comes first, serving will follow. Like 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ controls us. We're literally controlled by God and by His love. Which means that we have to regularly find time to renew ourselves to the greatness of God's love for us. You see, we cannot let much activity keep us from what is most important. And the good part is the presence of God Himself. So what you want to do is is find times to regularly be renewed by the Lord Himself. Uh, Let me suggest that you, you, you put it in your schedule. For me, it has to pretty much be in the morning because by the time I get going, I got so many things that I got to work on. And even while I'm spending time with God, I think of things, so I just start writing these things down on a list so my mind doesn't have to keep engaging those things. But you find a time. I remember uh, coming out of college, it was like at night, you know, like 11.30, when I was starting to wind down, spending great time with God, okay? Now that I'm married, got four kids, two cats, don't have any hamsters anymore, uh, you know, one wife, okay? I, I don't have that night, that's not going to work anymore. So you find your time. And, you know, the promise of Scripture is if you draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. But just find some time to be quiet and still before the God, Lord. Think about His love for you. To, to pray. If you're not in the habit of doing this, you've like been missing the good part for a long time, and it's pretty obvious. Start small. Just, just start with like 10 minutes or even five. Whatever it takes, but just, just start spending time with the Lord, and you're going to find like, it is good for my soul. If you don't know what to read, maybe just take a book like Philippians and just start reading it over and over. Maybe just one chapter at a time, or if you can read well, all four chapters, just, just do it. Maybe you just systematically read through the New Testament. Change things up. Don't get into a rut, but do whatever it takes to keep your heart fresh with God. You want to have some sort of a plan, but what you're going to find is you spend time with the Lord, He will renew your perspective and give you peace. You're going to sense the nearness of His presence. Literally being with the Lord, you get power, strength. Spirit of God revives your life as you yield yourself to Him. Friends, what we have to do is remember that we've got to keep the first things first. I want to today cast a vision of people loving God and loving being in His presence. You see, when we do that, it's like we're sinking deep roots into the Lord Jesus Christ. And the residual effect of any tree that sinks deep roots is what? It builds character. It develops a core. And it branches out and bears fruit. And that's what God desires in our life. It all gets started with just being 
with him. For gerbils and hamsters, eating, sleeping, running around on a little wheel like crazy, that's great. But we're people made in the image of God. In fact, until you turn from self and sin, you don't really have much else to do. You're going to have to try to figure out your own importance and your own purpose, but it will be far short than what you're created for because you and I were created to know God. We were created in His image to know how much He loves us, to rest in His presence. And you can't let much activity keep us from what is most important. You see, the good part is God Himself. Haddon Robinson recounts a story that when he was in seminary, they had a pastor come and visit. And uh, this pastor told of this incident that had taken place in his church. It's still during the World War II era. And there was a, uh, a family. Um, there was a boy, his mom, and this, this boy's dad died when he was really small. And so they kind of had one of those unique relationships, mom and her son. And, and this is before the days of, like, TV and Netflix and video games, right, where you actually spent quality time together. And so what they did is they... Uh, they would, like, read to each other, and they'd, like, listen to the radio, and they spent every night like this. Well, the young man continued to grow up, and lo and behold, when he got into his early 20s, uh, he met uh, a young gal at the church, and they got married. Now, during the World War II era, housing was tough to find, and um, the mom said, you know, listen, we've got this two-story house, and I'll tell you what. We've been living in it the entire time. I'll just move upstairs, and I'm going to give you and your bride the downstairs, okay? But I would, I would like to see you from time to time. I just, I just love our times together. I'm, I'm going to miss all that reading and listening to the radio and just, just being together. Mom, you don't have to worry about it. I'm, I'm going to be there. Nothing is going to change about that at all. Well, you know how it works. Well, pretty soon the visits, you know, maybe once or twice a week, maybe stop by and see how mom is. But then he got really busy. We got down to just kind of a few phone calls, and they lived in the same house. On a particular birthday, the son's like realized, like, wow, I got to show mom that I really love her. I'm gonna, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna buy her a dress. Okay, even though finances are tight, he buys her this really nice dress. And on his, on her mom, on his mom's birthday, he shows up and he says, look, mom, I just want to give you this present. She unwraps it, and, and lo and behold, it's a beautiful dress. But the son, you know, he knows his mom pretty well, and he's looking at her, and she goes, hey, wait, mom, don't you like it? And she goes, oh, no, son, I like it. it wait, is it the wrong color? No, son, you know it's my color. What, they told me I could take it back. I've got the sales slip. What's wrong, mom? And mom gets up, and she walks over to her closet, and she opens the door, and she shows him all these dresses. She goes, I got enough dresses for the rest of my life. I guess, son, what I'm trying to say is I really don't want your dress. I want you. I think that's what God wants us to understand. He really, he wants our hearts to be at rest and find their joy and peace in him. And we cannot let much activity keep us from what is most important. Because friends, the good part is the presence of God himself. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed, I want to give you just a little bit of time for you to enter again into the good part. Just to enjoy God and to perhaps tell him what needs to be said in this moment. And then just a minute, I'll, I'll close us in prayer.
Lord, for some of us, it's actually been way too long. We hardly slow down enough to remember our middle name, much less to remember you. And Father, you've got our full attention. We're familiar with this scene, but we need to be familiar with its truth. And so, Lord, I pray that today we would go forth from here with just a, a renewed heart to just want to enjoy your presence, to recognize that we can do nothing apart from you, that you desire to do your work through us, that it all starts with us just resting in your presence, knowing your goodness, learning from your word. And Father, for the person who has come here today who has never trusted in Jesus, they don't really know peace. All they know is just running ragged. They've never understood, and perhaps until now, that they were designed to know you. Would they simply pray with me and say, God, I turn from self and my, and my sin. I thank you that Jesus literally paid the penalty for my sin on the cross, and I trust in him. I want to know your peace. I want to know your presence. I want the nearness of God to be my good, so we pray. Lord, would you be exalted in our lives? We want to tell you that we love you, and we thank you for your unconditional love for us, so we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.